Hey, well, good evening. Welcome to Alpha and Omega Christian Bookstore Monday night here in September. You traded having the phone possibly ring later on to now actually having it eventually ring. We can have beep, 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 beep. Yep, invariably. Okay. How one do you guys feel tonight? How much in unity do you really feel? Do we have a choice? Here? Do we have a choice? No, you don't. Bob, you do we do not have a choice in this. This is this is the way it is. The church. Yeah. yeah. Well, in this chapter, in this chapter, it features unity. We focus on unity. And there is no better example of unity than the Trinity. (laughs) And then the church can be it. But if we look at the Trinity, we have three persons, and we have one God, and they are in perfect unity forever. Always have been, always will be. If you look at verses 4 through 6, anybody that would deny the Trinity would have a little bit of problem with this section because we definitely see the Trinity in these uh, this section that we, we deal with. Uh, and each one, uh, like in verse 4, it features the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 features the Son. And verse 6 features the Father. And before each word, that there are seven of those, which, by the way, that's number for perfection, whatever that's worth, but you have one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. One, 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 one. And I think it's saying something there. So the theme continues with unity because he started off with we're to walk worthy of the calling which we, we were called. And then uh, it talks about being gentle and long-suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So unity, and if we're walking in what God has called us to do, we will be in in that unity or practicing it. So these truths in verses 4 through 6 are called experimental order. (laughs) What what we're saying here, you think of the work of the Holy Spirit who starts in your life, right? Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates you, and then... The Holy Spirit directs us to who? The Son, who is to be glorified. And so the Holy Spirit does that. And then the Son directs us to the Father. All the work that Christ did was to please the Father. And so there are the the three involved. And uh, so He was sent for that that great purpose, and it's ultimately uh, glorifying the Father. So one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father... That's the objective foundation of this all. Um, Subjectively, we may not feel like there's unity, but if it's based upon this, the church always has the unity there. We're to maintain it, but it's there. And uh, the objective truth of it is uh, the unity of the Spirit. And that's what Jesus prayed for that, uh, that we'd have. And it all rests. What's this foundation resting on? The oneness of God. Spirit, Son, Father. And uh, matter of fact, if it comes down to subjectively, 
those things that we look at, those those seven key uh, thoughts there, um, no matter what you or I do, does not phase the unity that has been set up by the Trinity and uh, the unity that's in the church. They are fixed realities. Objective truth is this. The unity is there. And people like to say that you know, the church needs to be unified. We need to be one. We all need to get together. <laughs> well, I have no problem with that, but um, the true Christians are. Uh, may not see each other. Uh, what is our task in this, though? If that's if that is the objective truth, what about the subjective? Where where do I fit on in this? Ha. Um, there was a passage in either first or second Timothy, and, 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 and where it said, and it was talking about don't let anyone don't let anyone look down because we won't. And then it said something after that, and you can tell me where it is and I'll look it up. Said always set an example in peace, hope. Love, okay. So, so we're to set an example. I mean, that's the first part, right? Yeah, and that, so that's the doing part. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a, I guess that's the start because I, mean, I, I mean, that was in Timothy, was, right? I think it's that passage about don't let people look down on you because you're young, and always setting, like setting an example and something hope and purity or something like that. Who's looking it up? Zach. Zach's looking it up. Okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about there. Yeah. I mean, so, like Penny was saying, and, and like, I relate to it because I can't stand people I work with either. Um, not, I'm not putting words in your mouth, I'm just saying that, that in the workplace, you know, it's sometimes difficult to keep the body, the, the unity of the spirit, or the son, or the, or the father. But if we try to be an example, and sometimes that's all we can do is just to be anything. Yeah, and so people can learn off that. Do, do you have it? Yes. He has it right here. First uh, Timothy 4, uh, 11. Wait. Sorry, 4, 12. But no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers as an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Okay. So that's your that's your walk there. That's walking where... And that's that's a call to the pastor, but that would be also for... Anybody, wouldn't it? Well, then in, Timothy. in Ephesians 1, they would say to live a, or maybe it's two, they're going to be done there. Uh, live a life worthy of your calling. Right. Yeah, that's, that's hard. Living it out, isn't it? It's the <laughs> conduct. Walking worthy of the calling. Wow, how do we do that? Well, we've seen the first three chapters shows how we can do it. That's why that prayer was said. So we need to go back over that prayer constantly, you know, in our own in our own walks, just realizing where uh, what God has done for us. And if we're falling short, remember, as you're asking Him, He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So, anyway, all glory to Him. So our task is to walk worthy. That's what you're saying then, right? There's our task right there. To walk worthy of the calling that's been given. The unity's there Let's walk it, and people can see that example. Uh, Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask for help in interpreting this passage. Father, we thank You for this evening and, uh, again, the opportunity just to gather together amongst Your people and be able to look at Your Word and being directed by Your Holy Spirit and recognizing that the very 
second person of the Trinity is at the heart of all this, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for putting us into Christ. And so we can have our lives changed, being conformed to the very image of Him. Uh, Help direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verse 4. Here we go. Everybody's heard this passage so many times. There's one body. We started on that last week. And one spirit. So we'll start on the unity in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That word is um, <clears throat> capitalized in your translations, I presume. And, and it should be, because it's uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit. There's unity in the Spirit. I think Paul gives us the reason why we should keep the unity of the Spirit in this section. Here, here's why we want to keep that unity. Verse 3 ends with that. To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he gives the reason. Um, And this concerns the very doctrine of the church. We're looking at the church. The unity of the church is how, is really, uh, you have the manifestation or something that's being seen, uh, the perfection of the Godhead, of the triune God. The best way that people can see God today is looking at his body, the church. That's how they're going to see who God is if they want to see something in a in a visual sense. And that's why set an example in Timothy is there. That's why here walk worthy of that calling so that it can be seen. What whether it makes any difference in their life or not, that's up to them and how they respond to the Lord, you know, but we are to do what what's been given. So each of these groups that we have now are revolving around um, the this Trinity, the Spirit and the Son and the Father and each member and so we as a church and each one of us as units that's in that church is really a reflection uh, and somebody said it earlier and you gave that answer it's a reflection of the Trinity actually reflects God there's only we looked at it last week there's only one church despite all the denominations and all the different names and variances and such there's only one one body Uh, Ephesians is based on that whole concept and uh, as soon as you become a Christian, you are instantly put into the body of Christ. And uh, you realize that you are a part of an organism. It's, uh, it's organic. It's living. It's uh, growing. And uh, sometimes it's hard to imagine that we're in the same body that has so many different varieties of people, backgrounds and such, and yet we are one, despite the differences whether it be creeds and nations and tongues and what have you that uh, we have. But uh, I believe uh, if, if Christians were right with the Holy Spirit, letting Him fill them up, being directed by Him, if Christians were right there, then they wouldn't have any discord amongst themselves as far as doctrine is concerned. If you have the same Holy Spirit, there would be purity of doctrine. And also, you would not have divisions and strife if everybody was being directed by the Holy Spirit. Big if, though, isn't it? But that would be the case. That if you would have a purity in doctrine and you'd have a purity in relationships. We won't see that exactly being operated until we are glorified. But don't you look forward to that? But it is amazing when Christians do get together. I think of the event like out at the fairgrounds. You know, who knows who is what there, but 
they're coming under the name of Jesus Christ until I know otherwise, uh, I'm going to say, hey, there's brothers and sisters out there. I don't even know who they are, but they're rejoicing in the same thing or any kind of uh, event that's happening. If they're professing Christians, and if they you know, truly are Christians, you know, God knows that, but we get that privilege. It is, it is an amazing thing. Yeah, Phil. Um, two parables come to mind. I think, yeah, uh, it, like in Paul telling Timothy, avoid all those, uh, all the tail bearers and all the different things that yeah, they were doing. Well, that's that's where you get in, and of course, then you have a church discipline too, when when you know that hey, somebody is way out there, whether it be false doctrine or, or certain sin, then you then you practice out. You have your one, and then you have your two, and then you have your whole church. And the whole idea is to restore them. That's that's a discipline there, but it doesn't start with just, you know, just yanking them right out. But um, there's a process in that. But at the same time, a lot of times you don't, you don't have any, you don't see any sin in their lives. Or uh, you don't see anything that is wrong or right, but you just don't know. And sometimes, aren't you glad that you don't have to make that final judgment that God is going to do that? That's not up to the church eventually for what, what salvation is. You take it for whatever it's worth. Isn't that what's happened to our, our churches? Is because for the sake of unity, people are not looking at the Scriptures, and so they are being cast away. There's all these weird things that are going on. It's because people have been, you know, their unity is... Well, it starts with doctrine. Yeah, yeah. you start with doctrine. I say, so it's really confusing because they say, but if you know doctrine, like they're not right. There's more unity for them. Yeah, we can't go over to a, a unity church, the, the unity of peace, whatever, because we know that what they profess is not Christianity. We can draw the line and say, okay, if they don't believe that Jesus Christ is a Savior for sin, I mean, that's automatic. They're a cult. They're outside Christianity. That's not my brother. Okay, we can already... They're, but they're not in our church. They're professing to be. They might even profess to be one of those uh, uh, wheats. <laughs> Wheat plants or whatever. Wheats. Well, but, but even... And, and I haven't had cable for a long time, so I don't know what 
going on. But uh, from what I've seen on that Christian television network, I mean, there's some crazy stuff on there. Now, and, and I guess where the accountability comes in is that, is that you know, like, take a Benny Hinn, for instance, okay? I mean, obviously, I'm not going to follow his teaching because there's some, there's some problems with the teaching. But the people at Christian Television Network accept his money and put his program on the air. So they'll be held in a certain amount of... They'll be held accountable for that. Accountability yeah. for putting it on the air. And if, you know, but if we also, I mean, but it's also scary to me if we, if we partner with someone with, you know, with someone like that or, or a, or a management team, if you will, of that, that, um, you know, but some people look at it as if, you know, well, we're, we're trying to counter it and that's why we, you know, put our television show on there. So, you know, but because when you, when you look at it and like one show is just, you know, really wacky and then another show seems normal and then then you might have a David Jeremiah on that yeah, same yeah, channel or a that, Charles you know, Stanley or yeah, his yeah. thing is well this is the only way that we're going to yeah. get out there so we don't care that this wacko comes on before us yeah we're still getting we're still getting our message across right. yeah. um, there and there's there's fine lines some some places and sometimes it's it's up between that individual and and the Lord you know who who knows eventually what what that all comes down it's it can be a tough tough call sometimes yeah and, but what we have was we have an invisible church ultimately and God knows all that we we see the, the visible church the professing church but there is an invisible one. And that ultimately is what we're talking about here. Um, but believe me, it's it's hard to differentiate. It's a mystical body, <laughs> and we know what's there is. There's the true, uh, but um, I think what we think uh, what the Holy Spirit has done is that He's put us into this body that we don't necessarily see what it's all about. We have our guidelines here as far as the truth is concerned. And we also see that diversity actually is in unity because of all the different ones. How can you how can you arrive at the way that the church is? It's just incredible, isn't it? So many different backgrounds and where people came from, and they all have something in common and eternal matters in common, not just... Uh, Maybe a country where they came from. I smile at certain denominations that um, are Armenian as the day is long, but then I can sit there and see how the Lord is using their wrong thinking that others edify or build up, even if they, you know, I'm saying, I sit there and watch him make possible for other Christians to benefit the scriptures or benefit from that particular denomination some of the things we're doing, even if I know there's Armenian as the day is long, but you've been able to use it to edify your own children and stuff like that. And like I'll say the homeschooling has been the big one that I sit there and I, you know, as Zach and I was talk, talk to it and so they're saying, for wherever they're so wrong, they're so gusto so wrong with it, the Lord still is using it to give us user, you know, to be able to benefit to homeschool our kids through it. And if there's a doctrine where you couldn't walk up to these people, you'd feel very comfortable at all. But I also know that the Lord's made an opportunity through that. Yeah. So there is that diversity that goes on. But, like I said, sometimes, yeah, I don't know, you know, 
I know that he's made all opportunities for others to use that at church, but they, their, their drive or their drive to God, he still spreads his gospel and, and brings it to that to him. Yep. Incredible out of that one body. So we're not allowed to go uh, into verse 7 then? Is that what you're going to say to us for Ephesians 4? Because verse 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So uh-huh. <laughs> you, you picked an interesting spot there. Stop. <laughs> we'll stop us before that one. We need to get to that grace before we pick everything else apart. That's right. <laughs> okay, let's see. One One body, right? One spirit. Uh, spirit is the one who makes us an organism, puts us into this um, this body, this building. And the Holy Spirit prepares us. Even before we're put into the building, He prepares us. Before we come into the kingdom, one of the first things that He does is bring on conviction. He convicts us of sin. You remember in uh, John 16, 8, about the... Matter of fact, John 14, 15, 16, uh, it's about the Holy Spirit. And... Jesus said that the Comforter is going to come. And here is one of the things that He will do. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of, that's man's sin, and of righteousness, God's righteousness, and of judgment, that God will judge man's sin because of God's righteousness. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. We know the Holy Spirit is the one who comes in, and when we become believers, He convicts us to the point that repentance is is, uh, brought on. Uh, So our first great need is what? To be taken down. To be brought down. Chopped down to where we see that there is nothing in us. That's... That's a great job the Holy Spirit does. Comes in there and rips us apart. And then, He doesn't leave us there. He regenerates us. Then He puts the shock of life into us. The Holy Spirit life. This is the work of faith by the Spirit. Remember John 3? uh, Nicodemus. And the wind blows where it wants to. And then He comes in and He is born again. Or the word is anathan, which is born from above. That's really what born again means. We're born from above. And so the Holy Spirit comes in, works that faith in. While we're in Ephesians, look in verse 1 of chapter 2. And you, He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's the Holy Spirit who is God. It's God who makes us alive, but the Holy Spirit is the one who does that action on us, makes us alive. So we're looking at one of the persons of this great triune God who did so much work on us to bring us to Christ. Uh, then what He does, he, he takes us, incorporates us right into the body, places us in there. He unites us in Christ. So He, he uh, convicts you, He wakes you up, or regenerates you, and then He puts you into the body. And while you're in Ephesians, look at 2, verse 21. Jesus Christ, being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So, uh, Christ is that building. He is that temple. We're placed into Him. 
placed into the body of Christ, Holy Spirit doing that work. And then the Holy Spirit also seals you. Uh, speaking of that, he sealed, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. How long? Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. All the way till these bodies are done. You know, and He, he uh, redeems us into that glorified body. So, uh, He incorporates us, and then He animates us, puts the life into us so we can now uh, live like Christ. He's the one who connects all the parts together. And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, it talks about the the body of Christ there. We're all, each one of us, each one of us is a temple. And then the whole body of Christ is a temple. So there's temples in the temple. <laughs> Rooms in the big temple. Uh, another one, and you have to think of this as like a, an orchard. You ever been in an orchard that just had just an abundance of trees? You could actually get lost in this orchard. Had so much fruit all over the place. Let's say that it was time for fruit season. Time for harvest. And a Christian is like that in a sense. He is no longer governed by his own personality because the Holy Spirit takes over and through now this new personality, the fruit begins to show. A little piece of fruit here and a little fruit there and another fruit here and there. And what happens is it starts growing everywhere and there's so much fruit that our own personality can't even be seen anymore because the Holy Spirit is taking over. He is filling us. He's flooding us, controlling. You ever heard of being controlled by the Holy Spirit? Letting Him control that new personality that you have. Although you're still you, and you have that gift and every gifts that you have, but God now is using it the way that He wants. So that fruit, um, you want to have so much fruit that you can't even be seen anymore. Where's, where is it that I leave off and it's now Christ? Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Aren't you glad it's no longer me, but it's Christ who lives in me that counts? Only the graces should be seen. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Galatians 5:22 and 23. One spirit. So we're still dealing with the spirit, the Holy Spirit. We have in in that spirit, he's the one who starts the body. So you have one body, one spirit, and you were called in one hope of your calling. The hope is involved with the spirit also. The spirit is connected to the body, the spirit is connected to this hope. Um, and this deals with, I think you could say, it starts with the experience of our salvation calling, you know, the hope that we have there. Uh, you know, it's dealing with the walk, uh, Christ-like living. Uh, we're called to be what? Holy and blameless. There's the hope of the calling. I think of Ephesians 1, verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before Him in love. Holy and without blame. Then, uh, there's another one. It's that prayer. Um, uh, Verse 18. 
chapter 118. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is what? The hope of his calling. Even right now to know that. So it's it's the hope of the calling that we have as far as our salvation and our living is concerned, but it's even more than that, it's looking forward. That's our really our great hope, isn't it? I think of Titus and the second coming of Christ is called the great hope, isn't it right? The hope, that great day, that great day that is to come. Uh, we all have the same hope. You guys have that hope? It's what I look forward to every day. I, I got a feeling there's probably not a day that goes by that you have a thought of saying, oh, when the kingdom comes. You know, I can't wait, right? <laughs> Especially when things aren't going your way. <laughs> it immediately rises up. I, I think of Romans 8.18. And I think that's the section talking about uh, we all groan. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The whole creation eagerly awaits, right? Yeah, you think how people are going to be that you sit there and you all these anxieties and all this shit upon you. Yeah. And you know, I knew the next day of Lord would return. You think how foolish it was to spend that time so... How different you'd live it, right? The Holy Spirit brings attention to the great hope that we have. Um, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And they last forever. Hey, the Word and the Spirit. The Word just spoke to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the great hope, folks. Great hope. Chapter 5, verse 1, 2 Corinthians. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we die physically, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Is that great hope? Is that hope or what? 1 John 3, 2. Uh, Probably know that one, don't you? Beloved, now we are children of God. Right now we are children of God. Right now. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, (laughs) what? We shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Now, that is hope. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13.12 We are beholding as in a mirror these things. But one day we will see Him what? Face to face. All that we really see are the... It's a cloudy view that we're seeing. You know, the, the mirrors they used then was some kind of a polished bronze or something like that. It wasn't the the looking glasses that we have that are like HD that we have these days. (laughs) Colossians 3.2. Oh, we use these verses all the time, don't we? You guys run across these a lot. Oh, they're great promises. uh, Ooh, that's that's not it. That's Philippians 3.2. It says, beware of the dogs. We were talking about that earlier. (laughs) That's the Georgia Bulldogs. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind. 
on things above. King James says, your affections. The affections. Jonathan Edwards loved to use those words. You're very, yeah, the, the very inner core of you. So I thought New King James didn't really change a lot of those words. They just took the these and the thous out. Are you using a KJV back there? Are you a KJV only guy? Are you doing that on Facebook now? He looks the NIV to the KJV now. You know, there was a guy I looked on his bio. Look stuff up in the ESV. It's it's easier. Okay. It's faster. I do like that ESV that you. Hey, this is better, though. We get best of both worlds. We got the ESV and the King James going. This is at the snap of the fingers. I'm like, boom, boom. It's like that. But I, Glorified Bibles. But I've never, this is the first time that I've actually had a different word than you. Oh, it's been close all the time. Yeah, it's been uh, real close. close. The, the oh, okay. I'm not a New King James. I, I like that, too. I think that works real good. What is the SV there? Is it mind? Yeah, it's mind. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It's good. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards. What was that uh, book, Bob? Was that book? Religious. Religious. And then religious was kind of different than the religion. We say religious today, and it's a, Yeah, it was. It was a good word. But now we say religious, and there's so many different religions going on that we hate to use that word. We say relationship, right? But that's a good word. All right. Well, there's the spirit. There's the first verse of this section. Dealing uh, with keeping the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, just you were called in one hope of your calling. Now, how about unity in the Son? We have unity in the Spirit. Here's Those are the things that He's done. He's convicted us and quickened us and incorporated us and put us to life, brought forth fruit and everything, and we have the hope because of Him. Now we look at the Son. What is the central work of the Holy Spirit? What does He do? He, yeah, he does that, to, and he does all that with us. And what's his main purpose in it? To point to Christ, right? And, and you're all right. That's that's what he does. But there's a there's the purpose. The uh, the there's a means. The, there's the end. And he's Christ, or the Holy Spirit alone is the one who enables us or gives us the power. He powers us up to be able to uh, do these things, to see Christ. How can we see Christ without the Holy Spirit? Well, we couldn't. Right from the very outset, and then He continues it on. And even when we don't pray very good, He's there interceding for us anyway, just to make sure those prayers go up anyway. Boy, aren't you guys glad of that? How many prayers do we miss for ourselves and others all the time? Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. He's there interceding. And, you know, He illumines our mind. The reason we can sit here tonight and understand some of these deep things is not because we have an IQ of 227. Is that possible? Audrey has that. (laughs) Okay, Audrey... Come up here, please. Yeah, try to look humble. <laughs> she has a lawyer's mind only that is bound by Scripture. Now, that, now that's a good combination. Only from 8 to 12. Eight, from 8 to 12. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the best kind of mind to have when you're not comparing it to man's wisdom and the truth that God's word has to say. That's your true judgment. 
Always we'll get it to wrong. Holy Spirit empowers us to understand these eternal things and people would call us fools for sitting here on a Monday night going through a book and um, my idea is this. Well, in Corinthians, Paul said he was a fool for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm stuck on that title. Fools for Christ's sake. Of course, he said that word. Especially since it's a football game. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're missing a Monday night game. I don't know who's on. We, we missed Hank Williams' lead-in to that already. Oh, darn, we're missing a football game. <laughs> Does Hank oh. Williams Jr. still do that song? Does he do that? <laughs> oh, Faith Hill. Well, she looks better than Hank Williams Jr. Anyway, that old codger. <laughs> Okay. Okay. One Lord. All right. <laughs> one Lord. One Lord. Unique. He is unique. We've seen we've seen the Spirit. Now we see that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is all connected to Christ. Christ is alone in his glory. He is so unique. There is nobody like Christ. If you believe that though, you will be called arrogant. You could be called intolerant. You could be called ignorant because you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. In this world today, that is unpopular as can be, isn't it? You shouldn't... And Christians really balk at even trying to say that. There's a British theologian by the name of John Hick. John Hick. Who argues... And he's not on our side. He argues that uh, different religions are equals. See if this sounds like what the world believes today. Different religions are equals, though they each may have different emphasis. Christianity, says, is not superior, but one partner in the quest for salvation. We are not to seek one world religion, but rather we look to the day when the ecumenical spirit which has so largely transformed Christianity, will increasingly affect relations between the world faiths. And he likes to quote from the Hindu Bhagavad Gita in 4.11. It says, However man may approach me, even so do I accept them. For on all sides, whatever path they may choose is mine. All paths are right. Isn't that nice? Yeah. <laughs> He's, yeah. This sounds like that could definitely come out of there. Yeah. <laughs> the shack didn't believe in the Trinity, by the way, and a lot of other things. Well, before I knew what it was, I felt kind of funny about it until somebody like uh, Julia came in and told me that she had read it, and she says, this book is bad. And I go, why? And she told me, I said, fool. And then I got a, uh, Kendall Adams got a hold of me because he has a radio show uh, up in uh, Burlington, Iowa. And uh, he, in, he invited this author on his show, on telephone, to explain what he was. And Kendall came up with some things. Uh, for one thing, the guy, the writer there didn't believe in the atonement. He didn't, uh, you know, he's into the, the mother God kind of thought. And uh, sin is never going to be punished. 
and that there is no hell. There's a universal reconciliation and there's no submission in the Trinity. Okay. That a, that's a few things about that book. We'll move on. Okay. No submission in the Trinity. That's okay. Okay. As we're looking here, one Spirit, one, one Lord, one God. Okay. Anyway. Christ, the Lord, unique. Incarnation. Do you know of any other any other person that got incarnated like he did? And having a dual nature? Dual nature being God, man. No other religions really have that. Sometimes they come similar in their little stories that they have, uh, and the legends that they put forth. But uh, when you see Christ, you think of uh, oh, Hebrews chapter 1. You see the uniqueness there of Christ. No other religions. If You know, if Hinduism got rid of their leader or uh, any of the Eastern religions or even Mohammed... It, w- it still wouldn't make any difference in that religion. But Christ is so unique. He is Christianity. It is about that person. If there is no Christ, there's no Christianity. Well, sad to say, though, in, in some of the preaching today, there's a Christless Christianity, as Michael Horton wrote a book called that, Christless Christianity. It's Christ is not at the center of it all, and that's what it's all about. Why well, even call it Christianity, right? Anity, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so that's meaningless, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think our problem in meaning my problem is the, is the lack of love? I mean, you know, because we're getting... You know, Christianity gets beat up in the press and, and and beat up, you know, right and left, whether you're talking to somebody about it because they're, you know, your God is intolerant and your God is, you know, this and your God is that. And these are all these things that I don't want those gods to be my gods, so you go ahead and keep your God. Um, but in that process, they also see, you know, maybe a bunch of grumps. And, 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 and I try not to be that way, but... I can't help it, you know. Um, do, do you think that it, it's just, you know, we don't we don't love enough, or we just are not tolerant enough? I mean, yeah, and tolerant is a really weird word, isn't it? Because in one way we we do tolerate things, but in another way we. We are the most intolerant people in that we should be intolerant. Sometimes we're intolerant when we should be tolerant. So we have to use that word, and and the world defines intolerant. We're not embracing all that stuff, but that doesn't mean we're intolerant. Yeah, how how do you define the word? Intolerant, I'm not going to accept... Their gods. I'm not going to accept their religions, right? right. Christianity can't. Let's throw this out. I mean, obviously we're 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 pro-life. Okay, we don't believe that babies should be killed inside the womb. Okay, and that even goes back to some of the some of the scriptures about about children because they are children. Okay, and and, and Christ had a very high regard for children. Um, you know, in his ministry in the three years. Okay, but when I look at something, and and that's a 
to me, I guess that's, a, that's just a no-brainer. We're always, we, we should always, as Christians, always err on the side of life. Okay? But let's take gay marriage, for instance. Okay? We know God hates it. Okay? We know it's against His law. We know it's against His, his ways. Okay? But when we speak out against it as if that morality can save them, okay, we come across as bigoted, mean, unloving, and, and all those other verbs or all those other adjectives that they call us because we are against gay marriage. And so the world is already going to perish when Christ returns. He's going to set everything right, okay? So, in essence, if we fight against gay marriage, are we not fighting so that our world is a better place for us to live in? I mean, I, I know that, you know, we want our world to be a better place for our children and our children's children, and, and, and that's conservative values. But that's part of why, you know, I haven't tried to be as grumpy about some stuff in the last few years is because it's, it's not going to make any difference. That's, that's physical manifestation of sin in the world. I can't do it. Well, you just said it there. You just said it. It's a sin. All the other things are sin, too. Granted, the consequences are much higher, but sin is sin. You've got another guy over here doing something else, and it's kind of accepted. You know, uh, but if you look at using an example of the gay lifestyle, if you look at the the, uh, the ministers and the people that are working through that love one out, mm-hmm. those people aren't. And there's no hate speech in that. Right. Those people are the most loving people. I mean, their their whole spiel is all. And you know, if you're you don't even have to be against anything. If you're just for the truth, right? But I, yeah, it, but, but but they still hate you. Yes, because because they think that we exactly. that because we're for that we're against. Right. See, and we you don't have. To oh, well, you're a Christian, anything, right? so you must be against gay right. marriage. And we can't help what they think. Right. So they can look at you like you're grumpy or whatever. As long as you're sticking to the truth, you know. I've been accused of. of of hating homosexuals. I don't hate anyone. I'm surrounded by them at work all day. They're all over the place. They come in my office and they cry and whine all day long. What's the best way of looking at that homosexual? This guy needs Christ. If we have the motive of saying, hey, listen, they need the gospel. They really need the gospel because what they're doing, they're destroying themselves. It's what, physically? They could get AIDS? And that's when you look at, when you look at that ministry, love one out, Love one else. Uh, that's what they do. They just, they just. And isn't that the way we have to? What do we expect from the world anyway? We can't change them. And it's only the gospel is really where it's headed for anyway, because we can change all the political realm. And and granted, that's nice to do for the time being, but it's going to be changed next time around. There's always going to be something. And the truth, yeah, the truth offends when it comes from the gospel angle. Yeah.
Because like I say, it holds it off for a little bit longer, but I know there's no salvation in it for the people to do that, but there is a morality also, too, that you go and you use it. It gives you a little bit longer we have to tell what's 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 true and what's not sure, and when it comes comes up and tries to make an advance to me now we have a problem <laughs> now we have a problem and I have to take a stand you know you, yeah you have to take a stand so so you end up in court so you have problems like that and you look like you're against something you have to you have to take a stand about uh, a pregnancy or a preborn infant, you have to take a stand and you have to stand up for it. And you, have you don't to hate the child. You hate exactly. And you don't hate the mother and you don't hate the doctor and you don't hate, you don't hate, it's not about being against anything, it's about sharing the truth. Would you say the you motive then is the truth? And if we have the right motive that the yeah. truth would be gotten out, that God would be glorified, that this person could be changed by God, I'm not going to change them, but I, I can give them the truth and that can lead them to that. If that be the case then, then we're on the right road. We'll let God deal with that. I give His truth out. I give the gospel. I tell about this one Lord, for instance. Okay? One Lord is the fact that Christ is unique. They need that person. They don't know this person. And uh, if they can have a relationship with Him, and He is the one who is God, He is the one who is man, and He is indivisible, He has two natures, that sounds really odd to people. But if they can understand and all of a sudden realize that there's where righteousness comes from. I mean, people will never understand the mystery. And so, I mean, I still have trouble with the mystery. I still have trouble with the virgin birth. I still have trouble with the ascension. I still have trouble with the atonement and the rising from the dead. I mean, I still have trouble with all that stuff. But do you believe it? Yeah, because it's, it's, the, it's the mystery of who God is, and he has revealed that to us. But but the thing is, is, is where I guess I fail is that when we're commanded to speak the truth in love, it's that in love part that I have so much trouble with. You know, I can speak the truth. I can spew this stuff. I quoted three verses, didn't know where they were tonight, but I, you know, but I knew that they were in there, in in what we were supposed to do. But, but I'm just not as good at. I, I'm probably better at tangible acts of kindness more than I am in audible acts of kindness. Okay, but don't. But I think, but if you pity. But if you pity a person, like I say, you realize that they're being deceived in that sin, then, I mean, you know, would you not want to try to help somebody that, you know, you pity them because you know they're lost. You know they're without light, without hope, and stuff like that, too. I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a sin there, but then there's also there's a pity that you put in that. Well, first it starts with an anger. Because of that sin, we should. We should have a, a, a righteous anger. But then we look at that individual and realize that, first of all, they really don't know better. Because if they don't have the Holy Spirit, how can they really know? And then the world is telling them that those things are okay, that that's a good thing. But this is this is where Christ comes in and, and His work. It's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The other part is, is that we also, don't do that, um, is that we have a certain level of, of spiritual superiority. Because this person lives this lifestyle, I have the Holy Spirit, and you do not. I pity you. You know, when in reality, they're no worse of a person than I ever was. Yeah. 
you know, and I still sin. That's the way we have to look? Okay. Where we come from. But they, and they, but they look at us like we are spiritually superior. And we have to, and, and that's the hard thing. And it's hard to act, not act like you know something they don't know. Exactly. It's very hard. And, and as soon as you start talking to them, they get offended <laughs> because you act like you know it all. Well, this is why what what we do, it's all based upon the fact of the unique Christ that we have. And we know that He is truth. And then, okay, if He's unique in His person, isn't He? He's unique in His work and what He did on the cross. We know absolutely that things that we say, if, if it's based upon what He has done, if this is based on, if we're giving gospel truth, and the reason is is that we want to see that person converted to be changed by God, and then we realize we're going to present a one Savior, a one Lord. Acts 4.12 says that there be no other name under heaven than who? Jesus Christ, right? And and we know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Um, and so, we, you know, we present this this uh, this Christ, this this Lord. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. This is who we always do. When it really comes down to it, we're, we're confronting sin, and we can we can go in any kind of sin. We can go, but we always if we start with that law and say, okay, here is uh, the standard that that you've broken. Then it's God's standard, and we've all done it. Uh, uh, Paul says, "For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." There's that that perfect work, right? Um, how about 1 Corinthians chapter 8? Verse 5 and 6. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ and through whom are all things, and through Him we live. So there's um, our Lord, who is God. And even in Corinth, they had to be reminded, yeah, there's plenty of gods out there that you guys understand where you came from, but there's only one God. There's only one Lord here, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There's only one mediator between man and God, that being Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy. So he's unique in his person. He's unique in his work. How about his relationship with with us? We were bought with a price. We were paid for. We are not our own. There is one Lord. When you have Lord or Master, then you have servants. We are not our own. We don't own ourselves. We don't own anything. Not even ourselves. He died for me. And He purchased me. Wow. We are not our own masters. We think we're ruling the roost. We think we're calling the shots. No, 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 God is. But a lot of times, well, this is my life. I can do as I please. No, 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 you don't understand. 
You don't own your life. You are not your master. You have one master and one Lord. It's it's Jesus Christ. And so we see that um, uh, when you think of John 13, he uh, Jesus in his humility uh, washed their feet, and uh, they recognized that. Hey, you know, or at least Peter did. You know, hey, you can't be doing this. But at the same time, Jesus said, "Yeah, I will do this." Uh, he was showing humility, but he was their master, serving the servants. It's an incredible thought, but still, yet yeah, it was he was Lord even at that. He was the very, very master. He bought us uh, and paid for us, and so in that relationship, when we say Lord. We're really meaning that, and I am totally underneath. I don't, I don't own my life. I think that's hard for people to divorce themselves from. I think it's hard for all of us. I think we'd really say, yeah, He is Lord and Savior, and He's Master, and He calls everything. It's all up to Him. But a lot of times we kind of forget, and we are our own lords. Good. Okay, good Good example there. The church, we're speaking unity, and says there's one Lord. If everybody recognized, first of all, the Holy Spirit, and really let Him control them, and then it comes to the Lord, if they recognize that they're all underneath that Lord, now, how can you have disunity if you have the same Lord? There's only one Lord. And if you are lording it over, then you're trying to make two Lords out of this. But if we all submit to the Lord... You cannot have discord and be out of joint and out of harmony yeah, if you have one Lord. Well, that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> so there is the unity. It's already set there. The only thing is, is that we're not walking worthily of it if that unity is not there. We need to check ourselves. And how do you check yourselves? Well, you can go back in verse 2. Lowliness. Are you low out of this? What's your motive here, right? Have you been gentle? Have you been long-suffering? Have you been real patient with this? Have you bore one another in love? Is this from Scripture? Uh, Ephesians 4. <laughs> yeah, we just backed up a couple of verses. <laughs> just making sure that wasn't just from It's all in verse 2. Endeavoring. And we said that was really pressing it as much as you possibly can to keep the unity of the Spirit in the belt, the bond of peace. And then he comes on with this. Anyway, um, there's one faith and one baptism, but we're not going to do that tonight. The thing is about this whole sin thing, it's also very difficult not to have the sin of like envy and jealousy when you see that, when you see what I, I think, was, you know, when you see so much prosperity around you, I mean, even in, you know, even in the church. You know, to not be envious and, and you know and or jealous of it, you know, when you're having trouble in certain areas, you know, because because sometimes when you're when you're when you're seeing it, you you know you know it's not right, but at the same time you have your own petty jealousy or your petty envy of you know whether it be you know a new car or whether it be a new house or whether it be a Whatever it might be. Sounds like the flesh. That, well, that's Sounds what I mean. like battle with the flesh. Yeah. You ever think, though, if you had those things, they would be your God, 
Constantly battling with sin. Because sometimes you can be, you know, right there in the right place with God, and you're, you know, you're right on, and they're not, and then they are, and you're not. You know, because hey, hey, look, you know what the next chapter is? It's talking about walking in love, walking in light. And then you know what it says? Look in verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. That What you're saying is when everything's kind of, you know, our relationship with the Lord is really, really good in the sense that, you know, we've, we've been on His Word and we're, we're desiring to follow Him. And here it says, be filled with the Spirit. That is a command. Because he's always there, so we're always to yield to him, let let him control. That's just the next chapter. <laughs> so that's how we can do that. And uh, in the in the same chapter, chapter four, that we were talking about uh, earlier, but to each one of us, grace was given. The grace is there, so that we can do this. That's already there. But in our own lives, we are to walk worthy. And how do we do that? With lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, keeping the unity. And then we look at this and we say, there's one body. There's one church. It's not divisive. There's, there's, uh, there's one spirit. There's one Lord, right? So if there's all that, then, ooh, there shouldn't be any other Lord's there shouldn't be any lords. I shouldn't be a lord or a master along with Christ to help him out. So, anyway, it goes on. The battle's there. That's right. It goes back to that, doesn't it? With all lowliness and humility. And then Paul, like in Second First Corinthians, yeah. The underroar. <laughs> there we go. There's that cycle. <laughs> I'm the best football watcher there ever. Was. <laughs> Just blew it, right? I can be really humble. I'm so and be humble. The best humble That's how elusive it is. Okay, this is going off. Nice to have you guys this evening, and we'll uh, see you next week when we talk about one faith.